This is episode 34 of the Progression Health Podcast with online coach Paul Dermody. We're going to discuss how to age well, among uh, many other topics. Uh, so, Paul, would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, thanks, man. I feel like the, I didn't say this yet there. I feel like the implicit uh, implication, if you like, is that I'm actually aging well, which is a lot of <laughs> a lot of pressure to put on me at the start. Thanks, man. Um, long story short, online personal trainer, work in very much the same field as yourself. Kind of passionate about the more um, lifestyle side of fitness, genuine. I don't consider fitness to be hitting arbitrary calories and macros, although that can be incorporated into periods of fitness lifestyle, if you like. I work with clients in various places, mostly online with a smattering of one-to-one clients, depending on where I live at a given time and deeply passionate about what I do. So I'm my ultimate philosophy is trying to help people reconnect with the joy in food, irrespective of the goal. I have no, um, I have no, what would you say? No, I don't have my colors nailed to a flag. I'm not pro or anti-diet. I don't think anybody should do anything specifically. It's whatever the goal of the client. I try and help them achieve that goal if I can help them in that, that specific endeavor and do so whilst hopefully evolving their perspective and actually enjoying the journey. So that's just a little bit about me in a nutshell. Yeah, very good. I love the, the flexibility and how you're not stuck to any one approach. Um, so what's the kind of the, the typical client that you have? What do you help the most with? Like you're, you're talking about to enjoy food. So could you tell us a little bit more about that? I kind of say that the typical client that I have is trying to, quote unquote, escape a diet cycle, which is basically the false dichotomy mindset of being only on or only off the diet. If anyone's listening, Ross, and, and has never heard of what a false dichotomy is, it's basic when you've been presented with something that is falsely only option A or only option Z with no middle ground. And you'll probably have seen examples of this. Maybe you've experienced it yourself. I know I have where you are just on your plan or you're just off that plan. And that's much more of a perspective. So when the thing I find the most interesting when I'm working with clients, especially in this mindset, is how do we get to a place where irrespective of the decision made, there is no transgression being committed. That is paradoxically very fearful for a lot of people. They think, well, if he gives me unconditional permission to do what I want, then I'm going to do everything negative. And I actually consider that to be the complete opposite. It's knowing you can do or eat anything you want gives you uncon- unconditional permission to do it. It doesn't mean you always will, but knowing that you can is the biggest difference because then you remove that sense of threat that there's an impending catastrophe about to happen because that's what I've noticed. I work with say one specific lady who comes to mind. We have a very good client coach relationship, I have to say. But I, I remember talking to her recently and when, when we were speaking about things, we agreed that every time she woke up, almost every single day, she would be back on a diet, back on a very rigid set of calories that I did not allocate to her. And in her mind, the catastrophe already happened. She was just waiting for something in her day-to-day life to set that catastrophe off. So it could be something like forgetting her structured lunch or it could be overtime at work, or it could even just be, honestly, it could be a change in the weather by her own admission, that is. And she'd be back off the diet and she'd be ready to start again tomorrow. So we had to kind of get her to a place where the pattern itself, the actual, as I call it, the the effort mentality, I don't know about swearing on this podcast, but the, the I've blown it now, I've destroyed it now mentality, that's always going to happen. So we needed to get her to a place where she actually may have perceived herself to have blown the diet and then responded in a very different way as in responded in such a way that is actually there's no bandwagon to get back on in the first place. If I stop getting back on a bandwagon, I will never fall off a bandwagon. I could actually talk about this all day and still only scratch the surface, by the way. So that's kind of, that's the client that excites me the most to work with. I have different kinds of clients. 
I've actually referred out a few recently who have just been interested in, say, going from 15% down to 8% body fat. I think I'm prior to removed from that side of the industry to, to work with those clients now, and they'll be shortchanged if they come to me. But I get excited when I think of the, the, the behavioral element out of food and nutrition and the joy and basic, basically personal values-based coaching to, to kind of sum it up. So I don't know if you see that yourself when you're working with people. I know you're a bit more one-on-one than me, so I don't know if, if the nutrition aspect comes into it, but you, you might see patterns like this yourself emerging when you're working with people yeah for sure just the, the big one i hear is just that oh you know i was bad or the food i ate was bad and it's that black and white mentality like you're talking about a to z and it's just like that is uh that's not how food is you know it's kind of it's all in the dose really so um yeah for sure i see that a lot too um makes me think of you know so we we first met back in galway and galway city gym um but back then you were a bodybuilder in a former life um, so how has your, your views uh, changed from back then to, to now? The Progression Health Podcast has teamed up with TRX. So TRX is a bodyweight training piece of equipment that you can hook up anywhere, anytime. And uh, I highly recommend it. I use it in every session with my clients. I use it to warm up uh, and also for stretching. Uh, but if you are traveling, which is where I recommend everyone use it, you know, it's hard to get to a gym. Uh, it's hard to find the time. But you could literally work out from your hotel room with the TRX um, and the door attachment that it has where it doesn't damage the door, but it gives you an effective workout. I also like to add in other things like uh, glute bands and uh, resistance bands uh, but once you have the trx then you can figure all that out so get yourself 15 percent off on the trx home workout equipment with the code progression health trx and boost your workout effectiveness and consistency progression health podcast is brought to you by better help better help is an online therapy service which will help you to more effectively manage your mental health mental health is very important and it's something that all of us are realizing now especially after the pandemic during the pandemic for me especially it was very challenging and i, I reached out to better help i uh, tried out a few of their licensed therapists and settled on one for the majority of the pandemic and i found uh, the help that i received invaluable and the great thing also is that you can speak to your therapist outside of sessions um, if it's not working out you can switch very affordable it's really easy to use also um, and if someone hasn't tried therapy before but you're kind of you know you're curious i would highly recommend better help so what we've done is uh we've got a sign up link i'll attach in the show notes and basically you can get a discount to get started and uh, start improving your mental health today so better help for better mental health you know and, you know, just as you said at the start, aging well, I, I definitely think you're aging well from everything I know about you and I see you doing and you're still always getting your workouts in. So, um, yeah, how has your your view of fitness changed from when you were a bodybuilder to as you're aging well now? So I would have probably done anything back at seven years ago to have the muscles and the physique because I did think that that was very much a missing component of happiness. I learned quite quickly that it wasn't. And I'm fortunate because I consider that to be one of my moments in life where I realized nothing is going to compensate externally for anything missing internally. And it wasn't even this crazy massive void, but it looked cool. I thought it looked amazing and I wanted to achieve it and attain it myself. And then I kind of climbed that mountain only to, or I began climbing the mountain, which sounds a bit silly because you're just competing with training really to realize that it certainly wasn't for me. It certainly wasn't the mountain I wanted to climb up. My philosophy has definitely changed in that I, used to be very I was driven from a place of insecurity for sure when I was doing that I wasn't running to an endeavor I was definitely running not even from myself but it certainly wasn't a consciously created value competing in bodybuilding was not a reflection of my values 
So if you see me training on Instagram and you see me maybe get a little bit closer to a Nordic curl or a one-arm pull-up, that is very much a reflection of my current value, whereas that wasn't. And I just didn't know it. I have since seen firsthand the dreadful influence that a lot of the mediatized culture has on us where they're constantly reassuring us we can be successful, we can be gorgeous, we can be sexy, we can be everything we want to be. And that continues to torture us because most of us can't actually be that. We're also exposed to this idea where we, sh we can almost diet or train or do, do something, insert thing here out of our insecurities. But I actually consider those insecurities and those anxieties a, a reminder we're alive. I consider them very much part of the human condition. So I'm no longer as uncomfortable with my insecurities and my anxieties and that I do genuinely train. I'd love to say it's nothing to do with body image. I would love to say that. That's not true. There's still an element there. I find that very hard to shake off. But I think it's a healthy amount of body image. Like if you if you consider it like a bit of a pie chart divided into the important sections of my life, I consider genuinely being mobile and relatively fit and relatively strong and relatively in shape looking by my own standards to be part of the components of that circle. So it's, it's only been seven years. I'm 32 years of age now, but my whole philosophy is completely different. It's funny that the, I say this to clients all the time. And when I was talking to you a moment ago about not having a transgression as a perception when you're eating any food, when you quit yo-yo dieting, it's not actually dissimilar, in my opinion, to the, the journey I've had where I quit kind of bodybuilding and went into a much more uh, hammer, quiet, minimalist lifestyle, if you like, where my decisions aren't actually that different. I still eat a, a high protein diet. I still do my resistance training. I'm obviously much more flexible in mindset now. The, the perception is night and day. I feel like I've lifted so much off me by being able to do whatever I wanted to. And, and then I've almost gone and returned back to some of the similar decisions. I still eat my veggies. I still eat my fruit. I do love a beer nowadays that I wouldn't have allowed myself to do before. But it's, it's, a, it's like a 10% change in actual physical lifestyle in, in the sense of I still try and eat well and move, but it's a 100% perspective shift. I have no interest in sacrificing my life. The extreme endeavors require obviously extreme protocols. And what I'm after now in life is a much more well-rounded lifestyle. So I mean, that is going back seven or eight years. And I'd say we were both influenced a lot by our environment. You know, it's quite a bodybuilding gym that we were in. So we, we found ourselves, I'm sure I don't want to speak for you, but I'd say like myself, you found yourself kind of influenced by the, you know, the the, the atmosphere and the environment that you put yourself in. Yeah, absolutely. We were, we were fully immersed in it. Um, and it just makes me think of two kind of points is I hear a lot of people saying, you know, oh, I'd love to have abs or a six pack, or I'd love to be a bit leaner. And it's kind of like, you know, obviously you've been, you've been as lean as anyone. So could you just talk a little bit about what the actual experience of that is like? And then also just, it sounds like you've done a lot of work like on your values and internal work in those seven years. So like, I guess just kind of what, what changed, you know, for that 100% mind shift, mindset shift? Definitely consider myself someone interested in that introspection, if you like, that kind of questioning method of why am I doing what I'm doing? Where am I getting this attachment from? Like I said earlier, um, the bodybuilding not being a reflection of my values. Because I see, and I've been lucky enough, whether you consider this as a good thing or a bad thing, I've, I've seen friends continuously be like, oh, that was the wrong mountain for me to climb. And then start raising up an equally distracting, numbing out mountain, you know, replacing bodybuilding with business, with whatever you want to call it, and constantly making the same mistake of trying to fill an external void with uh, an, yeah, yeah, an internal void with external things. So I've seen that a lot. So I've really kind of shifted that philosophy. Um, the process of getting lean, it depends. I, I, I consider, I, I guess it's all perspective again. It is very difficult. You're hung, you're very hungry all the time. 
it's not, I wouldn't argue it's fun. It's definitely not fun, but I also think your perspective comes into it. I would consider myself someone who practices gratitude almost by nature, if I'm entirely honest. That's not something I've ever actually had to struggle with. So even when I was competing, say, or even in the last couple of years, if I've done quote unquote dieting phases, I'm very blessed that I have the option to restrict and exercise restraint with foods. I was in the Philippines in 2019 and I got a DM from somebody. This was Christmas, the day before Christmas Eve. And I got a DM from somebody and I was walking down the street. Philippines is a very poor area. I saw people begging, literally looking for food to last till tomorrow. There's a very vivid memory I have. Someone DM'd me and said, how am I going to survive all this food at Christmas? And it was a really interesting um, kind of shift in perspective between looking in front of me in Philippines thinking, wow, like in survival to these people is will I get a meal tomorrow? survival to this person is how am I going to survive the abundance of food and I was kind of wondering how are we defining survival what's the perspective and that's actually been one of the biggest things travel has offered has offered me going to you know very underdeveloped or developing countries will develop you in ways that you can't yet imagine if you haven't been lucky enough to do it but I, I don't know why I've never had the experience of oh I have to diet or oh poor me no, none of that and I, I find it very much that I'm blessed I get to do it. I can't believe I have the option to exercise restraint. There are countries in the world where people don't even have clean water. It's not fun. You're hungry a lot, the leaner you get. And I find myself, once I go under about that 12% body fat mark, my body, this is, I'm just simplifying it. My body's almost like dying to return back to 15%. Even a few weeks ago, I, I managed to drop a bit of body fat. I went, I'd say for the first time in a while, I went down to single digits, I would think maybe close to it. And as soon as I got to that 10, 9% mark, my body's just like, no, get home now and stews and bagels and stuff. And I came back to Spain two weeks later with a little bit noticeable weight on me. And I didn't even notice I was doing it. But I, I, as soon as I get beyond a certain point, my pleasure threshold for food just increases so much. So um, I don't consider dieting in any way to be wrong or right. I don't think the six pack, I want a six pack. I don't think that's as rewarding as most people think it is. What I do believe is a lot of people don't consider what they genuinely have to forego in order to get it. You know, what are you sacrificing by walking this path? And that's a question for anything in life. But, and and on a probably slightly cheesy and deeper level, I think fitness and getting lean, if lean is your definition of fitness, which it isn't mine, it starts as a kind of a get me sexy endeavor. And then it leaves us asking questions of a much deeper meaning eventually, sooner or later, where we kind of think, is this really worth it? You know, having your abs, you know, I'm not going to say it's not a nice thing to have. Of course, it is. it's a really nice thing to have. And then all of a sudden you find yourself having to forego other decisions that would lead to maybe the accumulation of calories and obviously body fat. So there's no wrong or right answer. It is definitely what you value at any given moment in time. But all I know is I've been valuing different things at different times in my life. When I was bodybuilding, it had to be lean. That was number one value. No doubt about it. When last few times I've done any kind of quote unquote dieting phase, it's because I've been in a great place psychologically. I did one earlier this year. I'd lo I lost about 14, 15 pounds of body weight. I was thrilled to do it. I was happy. I was psychologically ready. I did it over a five, six month period, which means my rate was pathetically low, but I was happy to do it that way. Um, and then I've traveled and I've been around certain parts of Asia where I've been sampling very high fat foods and very calorie dense foods and, and really enjoyed that. And my body fat hasn't been my highest value. So I'm not interested in in kind of prescribing anybody advice on what to do with their diet or with their body. I think that's a I think that's poor education and leadership if 
somebody hasn't directly asked you. That's obviously a caveat. I want people to do their own thing. I, I, you don't want to listen to me. I don't care what anyone else does. I would rather people knew how something works and then had a robust enough understanding of self to at least introspect along the way that you're going to encounter hurdles and roadblocks. And it's definitely going to be difficult. Are you just going to give up when it gets tricky and then demoralize your self-esteem? Or are you going to show up the way you said you'd show up and actually do the goal you said you said and lay it out for yourself? But I suspect on some level that fat loss thing just isn't quite as meaningful as most people assume. It'll be beyond a certain point. And that's why people find it so hard to stick to. There's other factors, definitely. But it's not fun. It's It might be worthwhile. It might be meaningful. But in the same way you study for an exam, which is definitely isn't fun because you want what's on the other side. I kind of consider that a little bit like dieting as well. Yeah, absolutely. We don't, uh, don't really realize the sacrifice we have to make to get lean. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So you touched on it a little bit, but like, I guess um, with your favorite clients, like who, who's like your ideal client to work with and the client you find the most rewarding? work with i think when somebody tells me that our work has increased their sense of autonomy i like when people can come back and say i'm making this decision on this basis for this reason because i get it now a little bit uh, i kind of think in many ways it's a for many people it certainly that i work with my demographic it's about unlearning a lot of the absolutes i had a lady start with me yesterday who was told in her journey to lose what you might consider to be a life-changing body weight that she cannot eat strawberries must be blueberries and i can't even imagine that is literally to me the equivalent of asking ross should i spend two one pennies or one two penny coin when i go to the shop it is that irrelevant so when you can take people out of these hard and fast rules these rigid mindsets because we know ross ultimately irrespective of the goal rigid practices rigid diets are linked to worse outcomes across a physical emotional and psychological spectrum meaning your rigid diet, the, and I'm talking about the perception of rigidity because, you know, um, mine and your 2000 calorie diet could be perceived very different. I might be thrilled about it and it might fill you with dread. That's perception. That's the rigidity is based on how we, how we perceive it and the rules that come with it. But imagine if I said to you, you're going to do this thing that you've been told all your life is going to make you happy. It's going to make you in shape. And by the end of it, by the years, decades, you're going to carry more body fat. You're going to be more self-conscious about food and you're going to be emotionally in a worse space. You would never sign up for that shit. But a lot of people are unfortunately led down that, unfortunately, pardon, led down that primrose path. And um, when I get people who want to kind of converse and back and forth and share ideas, because I, I, my philosophy, and this is just my opinion, a lot of kind of the once a week kind of check-ins if I hit these calories, to me, it's just a sterile relationship. It's not... I don't bond. I don't form any connection with people over it. I have no real interest in that. I'm happy to have it part of a protocol, but I, I do want to, I want to work away from that personally. So I like the interaction. I like the discussion. I want to, like the, what happens on a scale is fine. You have at it. You lose a hundred pounds, 20 pounds, done, go, go nuts. I'm much more interested in mindset wins. You know, you might make a decision today that literally influences the rest of your life always, or you could just adhere blindly to a calorie number that I gave you and then report back to me and, you know, get your pat in the head for the week. So me, it's a no brainer. But again, that's just me. I, I think there's a, but I spotted when I started coaching people and I've had to evolve my philosophy over the years. I'm far from perfect. Um, even, even in the language I use, I used to be a big one for humor and, I, and almost sarcasm and lightheartedness. And I've had to evolve that over the years because that can come across very much like an asshole when you mistime humor, even though you might have great intentions. And I consider myself to be someone with good intentions. Um, yeah, I, I, it's being diligent, being very, aware of the client's needs and hopefully shaping their perspective so that they feel 
confident that maybe they will go down a period of aggressive dieting or intense calorie tracking for 8, 10, 12 weeks, and they'll finally do it because they love themselves or they want to see how far they can take it rather than that's the only way to drop body fat or love themselves or lose weight or anything like that. So um, people are going to be very different people at various stages in life. The life with Paul or life with Ross chapter in our clients' lives is a tiny fraction compared to the life without. So to me, and I don't always get this right and I haven't always got it right, but I do my best to make sure that the footprint we make is one that's certainly heading in the right direction at the very least. Yeah, absolutely. No, as, as long as I've known you, you've always had great intentions and, and given great advice. So don't worry about Thank that. Thank you. I appreciate um, it. Do you know yourself when you <clears throat> look back on something you used to believe, or maybe you might look back at a piece of content and you, you cringe a little bit thinking, oh, oh, I could have said that or done that a bit better or nicer. I like when I, when I first became a trainer, I was so, I, I was like, went into my philosophy and I remember I was like, right, no big words. I'm going to be that trainer who doesn't use big words because i know how i always thought that looked really stupid it just looks like it's really insecure like you know i get 42 year old sheila i'm like sheila you're about to do the leg extension the quadriceps have four muscles one of which crosses over the both the hip and the knee joint at the same time the triceps have three heads I'm like i'll never make that mistake but then i put them on a hack squat and i battered them until they couldn't walk and i was like that's just as bad you know they text the next day i'm aching and i'm thinking i should have i should have like gently eased them in two, three reps from failure so that they get a feel and a taste for it. But instead, I just became another trainer that smashed them um, in a different kind of way. And I obviously learned as time went on, but that was probably the, the thing I look back on now the most. And I hope and I pray that the one or two clients I pushed too hard, hope they continued on after me. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure there's the lesson there that, you know, you go too hard and you, you know how far you can go type of thing as well. So it's not like a completely, you know, fruitless effort. So yeah, definitely. Good point. I actually didn't. I didn't look at it from that way to be fair so hopefully that that was the lesson nice and early for them that they're like I can go places absolutely yeah and, and people are notorious for underestimating how far they can actually go I think is what it comes up with reps and stuff like that so we've done them a good a good favor there we all will do it man even I film some of my own sets and I'm thinking oh that was difficult and then I watch back and my facial expression is still normal and you know no change in pace and you're thinking I I really wimped out there there was there was three more reps there I'm full of shit so yeah we're all we're all tempted to wimp out of a set too early yeah, absolutely like perception and reality like they can be completely distorted so um i guess that's where a good coach comes in and they give you some objective feedback um yeah so one, one of your posts that i really liked was uh the title uh food will always be there one thing most dieters don't consider i love that a uh, reminder is that something that you kind of always use with clients is it like an older idea have you updated it what are your thoughts on on that i you know? stole it from my own girlfriend who she said it to me years back and I've, I've since I was probably, so long story short, I was coming out of a lot of binge behaviors in my teens and the bodybuilding demands exacerbated it again. It's certainly not bodybuilding's fault, not at all. Some people do bodybuilding can come out on scale, but it did exacerbate those patterns back in me. And I kind of went typical that I would be the typical person I would be from one extreme to the other and all that stuff. But ultimately Orla just was saying whenever I would be planning on going back onto something aggressive when we first met you see when I first met my girlfriend I was thinking about doing a second bodybuilding show so I was obviously plotting my second very hard diet for it but I just remember Orla innocuously said it one day like food will always be there and it it really struck it like it landed it was like a punch in the face it was one of those moments that just made you stop and go oh well like just because I'm going to quote-unquote diet on Monday it won't make food any less tempting and won't make it any less taste fortunately for us it's always going to be there imagine if it wasn't she didn't say any of this she literally just said the line innocuously but then my mind just started going into overdrive with the ambiguity of the statement and the various context to which it could be meant and it has definitely become a cornerstone of the philosophy of 
with coaching, I try and pass that on to clients where they'll say, look, I'm going to, I'm ready for a fat loss phase now. And ultimately the, the conversation will conclude, even if we don't say it directly, that no matter what the intentions are for Monday, there's only so much of a deficit you can create. If you go dieting, don't think that just because you get miserable on celery sticks, don't think you're going to be any more um, prone to a bigger deficit in any real world way than you would if you eat your habitual diet, but just smaller amounts of it. And you'll see a lot in the industry. I'm sure you've seen it, Ross, where there's this very much a strong anti-diet kind of versus diet culture movement. And I think both both of those movements go too far, personally. I think it's it's not helpful. I think, for example, if you step away from intentional weight loss and into, a let's say, an intuitive eating phase, which is something I actually take, take the principles of that and do with some of my clients who don't wish to lose body weight, I think that's incredible. I actually think you can eventually take some of the principles of intuitive eating and keep them as your mindset as you maybe step into a healthy diet phase in the future, or you may never want to diet again. Either way, that self-awareness is something we should all be coaching in people like do what you want to do. Know the trade-offs, know that there's risks to intentional dieting. The actual maintenance rate is quite poor. And if we were on uh, more honest as fitness professionals, we'd be real and say, look, you might lose 10 to 20% of your body weight, but you're not probably going to have a crazy transformation for life. So say the date anyway. Now, I also believe, just to piggyback off that, that if your own perspective and mindset is one of just different elk and different gravy, I think you can completely, completely transcend any kind of data and just go and do your own thing. I do believe that too. So, but that's neither here nor there. And that's just a personal opinion. That's not anything I can actually back up. Um, we have food, like when I'm talking with my clients, I'm trying to remind them, look, it doesn't matter. That loss itself is going to be very unspectacular. It's going to be dull unspectacular, boring, droll old Tuesday is going to be needed to be adhered to just as much as anything. And people get really busy uh, in life. And, you know, they'll they'll maybe put off a fat loss goal because they're so busy, which I'm fully endorsed, no problem. I don't think everyone should lose body fat, but they might start to put off other things like training and other things like movement and activity and sleep, which I cannot endorse. Because I think that if you need, if you imagine fitness to be like a switchboard and you, okay, fair enough, you're, you're taking down, say, one aspect of it you can still have all the aspects like sleep movement stress management all the other good stuff that that literally are in place so that if you ever want to change body composition you just have to adjust one factor which is nutrition but unfortunately a lot of people are very much in a chaotic mindset where the sleep's all over the place they scroll social media for hours no routine no rhythm straight to a crash diet and then straight back to the old behaviors so they're philosophically and behaviorally the same person they've just gone from complete chaos to strictness back to chaos that is the absolute opposite of say food will always be there so the reason i'm so adamant and you know we touched on aging well at the start of this podcast the reason i would be adamant on thinking about this from a much more long-term perspective is when you when you have all those factors in place when you have all the 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 kind of the factors in place it's going to be a lot easier to tolerate boring days off you know i i'm going i know i'm on a bit of a tangent here but i said when people are really busy they, they find it hard to diet. Boring Saturday or nothing to do, a day off is going to present the same kind of challenge in a different kind of way, just kind of like boredom eating. So there's no day that this is challenge free. There's no day that this is just easy. There's no day that you get a smooth run. And behind all this spiel, ultimately, literally lies the philosophy that food itself will always be there. It doesn't matter. So get rid of this idea that the food aspect is going to become any easier than it is now. If anything, adopt a really healthy amount of pessimism that maybe I won't be as adherent as I want. And there will be roadblocks along the way and there will be stumbles. And if I can just practice getting good at the consistency in spite of 
having the odd wobble or two, then I'll be good. So yeah, man, again, I talked at the start about how I could talk about this all day. I could, I feel like I could talk about it all day and yet still conclude nothing sometimes. Yeah. Just give yeah a lot of uh, opinion and thought, a lot of food for thought. Um, I feel as though you're really making a point of thinking long-term as opposed to, let's say, for example, I want to get abs, you know, and in the next six months I'll get it and not thinking past that. Would you say that's kind of like a fundamental point of your coaching that you get people to think, or even, you know, how you manage your own health, think, you know, long-term sustainability and even just making better decisions as well, long-term? Absolutely. Um, if we, because I know I've, I've actually talked about almost dieting in the context of, of like fat loss and whatnot a lot in this uh, conversation with you. And it, it's funny because it actually does come up surprisingly low amount of times with clients that like we don't actually talk about foods and specific calories and macros that much. I, completely agree with you. I don't know how you can live if you don't have a solid sleep routine. The difference is indescribable. When you get your sleep in order, even if people I know are notoriously poor sleepers, but you can't say you're a poor sleeper if you're scrolling social media late into the night. If you've no kind of set or similar waking time and bedtime, but particularly waking time, those things will change your life. Because if you think about what sleep actually does, beside the fact that there's less time awake to nibble on food, because let's be real, nobody's getting Ben and Jerry's out of the fridge at 6 a.m. It's always in the evening when we're up too late. Um, no, I, when you think about that, when you think about you know making decisions in a tired and fatigued state, and even when you think about the, the effects on our hunger and fullness hormones, that our hunger hormone is literally higher when we're tired. You think about the actual effect that a good night's sleep has on those things, you immediately put in place the foundation for really good things to happen. So you're probably going to get more neat activity and more movement. You're probably going to be a lot more calm. And then obviously routine is just such a vital component for us. And plus less time on social media. People who are up late are definitely either watching like too much Netflix or on too much social media. And I'm not judging that stuff. I'm really not do your thing. I hate this righteousness that a lot of entrepreneurs have of no TV, no days off. Just no TV that eats into your bed schedule because it's so important. So when you get all those right, all of those things right, it is fascinating how much of a chore nutrition seems to not be in my opinion it's if you really think about nutrition is it's more trying to eat in a very structured manner so if you eat breakfast lunch dinner and supper and you sleep well i i hand on heart believe that that mindset alone is going to take away a lot of people's heartache because i talked about how rigid dieting was linked to worse outcomes and how people go from chaos to binging to chaos structure and routine are two remedies to that and if you think about the importance of sleep and the effects it's going to have in overall energy levels and then the importance of structure and routine i know that let's say you're a client of mine and i say ross look i don't care what you do for the next week i just want you to report back having eaten at around breakfast around lunch around dinner and around supper then you can be in a all-inclusive hotel buffet and just get whatever you want just get whatever you want make a smart decision i don't mind what you do and it just counts as just replace that one meal that was your breakfast might have been higher calorie, not the end of the world. And at least you're implementing this sense of structure and calmness and routine. Even when I travel myself, I still keep the mindset of breakfast, lunch, dinner, supper. That's just mine. You could be anything for you. So that's very much one of the more important parts of lifestyle. Because I do think at some point you're going to have to disassociate kind of healthy living. And and how do I say this? Because it's not that you have to disassociate them completely fat mass and healthy living. But dieting, ironically, you want it to become the last order of priorities in a sense. Like it, any kind of calorie tracking or food quantification should almost be the last piece of the puzzle on a well-set established, well-established set pattern of behaviors. And I think they include quite simple stuff, sleep, decent hydration, and a decent movement. And if you feel, for the most part, new parents don't count, parents in general, that you're too busy to sleep well, 
then I don't know how any trainer could help personally. Maybe I'm wrong on that. Maybe I'm just being too close-minded. Maybe there's some freaks in the world, but they're probably not coming to me for coaching. But yeah, the, there's a couple of pillar foundations that I think worked with someone. This would be a good indication. I worked with someone, multimillionaire, super, super wealthy, super wealthy, super fascinating person. And they told me they had climbed to the top of every ladder in their life. And now they've realized that it wasn't the right ladder and they have to buy back their health. And that's why they're working with me. And a very sobering moment, because if I told you millions of euros in the bank, and this is absolutely true story, millions of euros in the bank, and you'd be sadder than when you start, you would never believe me. And yet I have like firsthand proof from someone who's telling me, I wish I could go back to some point in history where I would at least do a few push-ups a few times in the morning, go for one walk, but it's like blinkers on 20 years, climb the ladder. Like this person's retired. Well, similar age to me, They'll never have to worry about money again a day in their life. And yet they're on a remarkable journey to change their health and they're finding it particularly difficult. So the interesting kind of thing you see when, when people neglect their health in pursuit of another thing, failing to see that without health, there is no other gold. And it might, you mightn't feel the consequences when you're in your 20s and maybe not in your early 30s, but they'll come for you. And if I've learned one thing, they'll sneak up fast. I even have a lady I work with and I talked about mistiming humor. This is where I think I got humor well or got it right. She told me that she was like, I don't get it. I was, you know, it's like, it's like one day my metabolism just slowed down. And I'm joking, did your metabolism slow down or did the accumulation of not doing anything just finally catch up with you? And, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, that, that does make a little bit more sense. Yeah, it's it's all habits is what you're referring to, which is like, yeah, it's not, we don't focus on the goal of the body fat. We focus on the habits and then the body fat falls into place. Um, so just in terms of like health habits, um, as you as you age, like what is it about like certain systems, routines, that kind of schedule and stuff that like, in your opinion, helps you to stay healthier? Why does it make it, why is it important to have those three meals? Like what does it allow you to do or? You know, yeah, what, what are the health benefits from that? So if we're talking about, say, long-term health, a, a relatively seamless, seamless control of body fat mass is what we're looking for. And if you think about your hunger, if I locked you in a room for three weeks, you'd survive without food. Maybe not water, but you'd survive without food. Yet if I asked you to go from breakfast to lunch, you might be like, you might report, oh, I'm so hungry, I'm so starving. We program our hunger cues psychologically. So if you think about somebody who may be living with obesity or somebody who is living completely in a crash diet mentality, if you've ever noticed, they might be able, they might report to you saying, I have no, no knowledge of when I'm hungry or full. I don't actually have that knowledge. I don't have that biofeedback the way you or I have it. Whereas if you start to eat over a period of time, breakfast, lunch, dinner, supper, again, in mindset, it could be anything you want it to be. You'll notice that your hunger arises at around breakfast time every morning. It's that, whether it's psychological patterning, what, call it whatever you want. And then it goes down, you eat your meal, and then it comes back again around lunch. And you're not thinking about food in the meantime, assuming your meals are satisfying and satiating enough. So it's this subliminal programming, if you like, or the psychological programming of your mind to get hungry at very similar times daily. Plus the actual, just the habit. Like for me, I wake up in the morning and I know that I have my glass of water, wait an hour, then I have my breakfast. And it's, it's almost autopilot now at this stage. Um, similar with training exercises, I think a lot of people complicate this. I could talk about this for a full podcast in and of itself, but I found, I don't know if you agree, a lot of people hate exercise because they think you have to destroy yourself to get the benefit of exercise. Whereas all you need to do is get good as a pull, push, and some lower body movements. And when I program for people, they're like, ah, not hard enough. And I'm trying to gently tell them, you say it's not hard enough, yet you haven't stuck to a training program in 20 years. Try the bloody thing. So there's that aspect too. So the importance of routine just comes in reducing the amount of friction between you and what you want. Like, you know, there, there is 
no spectacular moment. There is no suffering for a goal if you're looking at aging well. There is just a series of small behaviors that you do and embody well. And I don't think it's ever too late to become the person you want to be. You know, I, I, remember, I remember someone messaging me before, I'm 50, is it too late? I really don't think it's too late. To, I can't ever promise you an outcome. But if you start embodying small behaviors of routine, structure, movement, fight, reflection time, I, I think these are some of the most important pillars of health as we grow old. And the other thing that this is a complete personal bias, and I don't know if it'll fit into it, I have found like less is so much more. I've done so much downsizing in the last year. I have so few things in context of what I used to have. I still have a few too many clothes, but I'm going to get rid of a lot of them when we move again. Don't even have a gym membership anymore. I just have a backpack and a pair of gymnastic rings, which I'm not very good at. Hey, you have a home gym in your bag. Um, and this, you know, the live in a small apartment on purpose. I have very little things. And I'm, I almost feel like I've escaped this kind of game in society in a sense, or at least I'm trying to do my best to escape a game of who can die with the most, who has the biggest car, who is the nicest house, who is this, who is that. And, and the life that I'm living is one that I'm consciously trying to choose the least regrets or the fewest regrets possible. So there's that aspect too. But, you know, some people aren't necessarily in a position to do that because of kids and commitments and mortgages and maybe stuff that they made prior. I'm just fortunate. I don't find myself in those positions right now. Yeah, that's, that's your system is to kind of be, for want of a better word, like minimalist, which, you know, um, you, you've decided with a lot of, of forethought, which sounds like really, really desirable. You know, it's just simple, you know, less decisions, less friction, like you mentioned. So, yeah. friction. It's friction, Ross. It's complete friction. If you talk about a healthy lifestyle, I don't know. But you, do you know what I really do like in the health and fitness movement now is I think it gets really misunderstood. I, I'm not saying this. I think body positivity and health at every size is a good thing overall. I think it kind of goes a bit too far. But I like the fact that we're not equating, say, things like body size. Um to, to health and fitness and whatnot. And I like the fact that we're genuinely being very, again, it's become a bit of a dirty word, but diverse in, in things like. And I think that comes from encouraging people who maybe do live in a bigger body to start removing friction relative to where they are and start trying to make it a bit easier. Because what I've noticed is people who live with obesity or people who live in an overweight body that they don't want to do so anymore, they really overestimate the difficulty that they they need to live by. Now, there will be difficulty in certain pattern breakings, like let's say you have a big appetite or let's say you pass your favorite takeout the evening and skipping that and going home and cooking a meal. That's the difficulty. But the difficulty shouldn't be in starving yourself to death and then like trying to do that for the rest of your life. So it is friction and it's not easy. And sometimes for a lot of clients, it might take a therapeutic setting. It might take work with a great therapist or it might take work with a trainer who just understands you, who's certainly not filling a therapist role, but who's certainly provoking the best in you. But yeah, when, when you say that friction, I know you're only echo, echoing back what I said, but just trying to make it as smooth and seamless as possible, which isn't always easy. Yeah, it's in those little decisions and just kind of, um, for, for some people, the little decision could be just to pass the takeaway instead of to stop in. That could be their habit that they formed, you know? So um, everyone has their own little individual challenges. Um, so We just, all do, don't we? Absolutely, for sure. It's kind of, I think, uh, awareness as well is like a big point that underlies everything you're saying to realize what are your individual challenges, you know? Do you think uh, the challenges that we face in terms of managing our health, aging well, do you think they're, they're individual or do you think you see a kind of a trend among your clients, yourself, your friends, people you know? I think the perception will probably always be individual. Um, I think no two people respond to stress the exact same way. Um, I, obviously, there's certain universal things, especially in this day and age, work, um, maybe loneliness, 
maybe social economic factors that maybe stop people from actually having the money and being able to afford to do certain things. Um, I think it's both. I think there's, there's certain shared struggles that a lot of people are going to face. You know, we're in a recession now. I'm sure a lot of people are struggling to make ends meet, and that's very difficult. And then I think the individual perception of stress is, is so interesting, for better want of words. Um, but all I need to do is just watch how, say, you know, I live, like I said, one bedroom apartment with my girlfriend and, you know, how she responds in certain situations. Uh, and then how I respond in certain situations and maybe her strengths and weaknesses and my strengths and weaknesses. And even just all you need to see is that to just see how two different people can perceive the world and perceive certain things in a completely different way. So we're not very, I think as a whole, I don't think humans are amazing at communication. Uh, I think a lot of the remedy to this is to become a lot less judgmental and a lot more open and honest. Like I don't believe in sugarcoating things for the sake of it, but I also think tough love can just be justification for being an asshole. So um. Yeah, I think if we get better at communication and make it a little bit, however we do it, I don't know, make it a little bit more inviting, maybe a little bit more, quote unquote, safe for people to just open up and say, look, I'm really struggling here. I'm really having difficulty with this part of my life. Help. And even if we don't have the emotional capacity to help, then, I mean, when I was 15, one of my friends asked me for coffee, maybe not coffee, because I don't think I drank coffee at 15, but we certainly went somewhere to a cafe. And he told me he was struggling with his sexuality. And this is back in when, 2005. So there wouldn't have been the movements you see now. And um, he told me he was struggling with his sexuality. He told me he didn't know if he was gay, straight, bi. He didn't know what he was. I remember he told me after, he's like, I knew I could come to you. You're such a good listener. But the truth is, I just didn't have the emotional capacity to respond. I didn't know what to say. So luckily, I said nothing. Luckily, in doing that, I said nothing stupid. But I actually didn't have the emotional maturity that I would have liked, other than to just sit there and listen and and hopefully not make him feel judged. Ironically, a little bit older, I realized that sitting there silent is one of the best things you can do for people. If, if you don't know what to say and if your input isn't necessarily going to help people, sometimes just being there to support people can be a huge thing for people. I've seen it. I've seen clients get safer with me where they're more confident to tell me, actually, the truth about not going to the gym is I have more flab on my chest and I feel lads laugh at me. I'm like, well, okay, I, I didn't know that. And now we can, if you want to work out and if building muscle is something that's really important to you, we can we can work chest muscles at home. We can do push-ups. There's ways and means. And all of a sudden you get people looking at maybe through the eyes of insecurity, but at a slightly more solution-oriented guise as opposed to becoming the insecurity for the rest of their life. I know it's a bit of a tangent and a complete waffle, but I felt it was important to share as well. Yeah, no, just that uh, aspect of, of listening and being a good coach, it's like, the, the saying is like, it's not a, a problem shared, it's a problem have and a problem well responded to. It's just, it's a problem shared. That's all it is really. So being able to communicate as you get older, you know, kind of like uh, you mentioned, like unlearning effective habits. Like, you know, you might have better habits than me in certain areas. I might have better habits than you. And if we can share with each other, we can learn from each other. Whereas if, if all you're doing is telling me what I'm doing wrong, you know, we're never going to get anywhere. I'm not going to learn anything from you. So um... totally. That's a great point. That, that even even that skill in the itself, you never want to lie to someone. But if someone's doing their best um, and this is a really good skill for human beings, well done on trying a thing like well, done, rather than someone, someone could send you a chest press and like it could look garbage. The bear could be wobbling. And like you might see someone who's got really poor control, like, oh, you need to get lower on your bench. I see. And I, I mean this, I see somebody who maybe stepped out of their comfort zone and did a, did their first rep. They are now ahead of the person not doing the rep. So I totally agree with you. I think that's a great point. Absolutely. And just kind of going back to the, the point of like people being in bigger bodies and, and like diversity and stuff like that. It's like we need to uh, encourage people more, like encourage everyone to be more active, to do that little, you know, little bit of activity, um, whatever, whatever their challenge is in terms of being active and exercising more. I think just uh as coaches like adapting more and and 
you know, encouraging people more and being less judgmental, especially like on the gym floor where I think people can be especially judgmental. It can be cruel. Uh, I agree with you because people have heard all this information before. So it's not an absence of information. And I obviously don't have the answers. I do have a long-term client. She's been with me three years. She told me that she went to a gym years back and she hopped on a treadmill just to get a feel for the place. And one of the trainers came over to her and said, no, no, you shouldn't be doing cardio if you want to lose fat. You should be in the weight room. She hadn't mentioned that she wanted to lose fat. So obviously, you know, that put that in her mind, which was really not a nice thing. And we're working together. And she, she said the reason she's been with me such a long time is because I never assumed that she wanted to lose body fat. But, you know, I, I learn from my clients, man. I'm learning just as much from them as they might be learning from me. They teach me a lot, particularly from eyes and from viewpoints that I couldn't necessarily have related to or struggles that I've never had. I do I'm lucky. I consider myself naturally an empathetic person. Since I've been a young child, I've always been able to feel people's emotions. Um, you vibe well off people. You can feel certain energies of people. And it's a skill... Fortunately, that lends itself to coaching. Like I said, man, I don't always get it right. I, I'm listening to here. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm speaking with you here and I'm not speaking to someone with all the solutions. This is me doing my best. Yeah, man, not assuming anybody who's going to move wants to lose body fat is another good thing. Like if, like you said, if we're going to encourage people to get moving, then maybe the carrot that's at the end of the stick or whatever it is or at the end of the string shouldn't just be fat loss. Maybe we should be encouraging deeper motivations. Yeah, maybe it's something as simple as like your mood even, you know, just to put yourself in a better mood and... It, you know, fat loss comes about, great, but um, that's something... Well, what do you, to... Yeah, what, do you, what are you going to do on periods of your life like that I've been there? I'm sure you've been there where you're like, I'm not prioritizing fat loss for the next few months. I don't care. You're just not going to move. You know, you, you, we need to have deeper... And if we're the fitness industry and we're, we're trainers and if we're setting the standard and the blueprint is uh, I'm not dieting, right? So throwback to my cardio, like cardio throwback picture, throwback... Like we're setting the standard. What what message is that actually sending to people that the only incentive for actual exercise is, is just fat loss? I think it's I actually think that's a really, really bad value to send to people. I think it's having the opposite of the desired effect. So I think if you can exercise irrespective of what you're doing with your nutrition, you're going to get immense benefits anyway. And I think we need to drive that home more. Yeah, absolutely. Like I would be prone to little bouts of anxiety. And running for me has become like my medication almost. You know, it's like I tell myself to run to feel less anxious because I know then the rest of the day or you know even the rest of the week even knowing that uh my system is running and that's my system for managing my anxiety it's like um sure maybe it helps me to lose a bit of body fat or maybe even just maintain my weight but that's just kind of like an extra benefit that i found through exercise and i guess through being less rigid as well actually kind of like you you mentioned you know get away from being rigid so um yeah exercise can be so much more than fat loss for sure 100 percent. it's so interesting isn't it i think if you talk to any trainer who really loves what they do. I think we've all really gotten into it because we all got so messed up with rigid mindsets and now we've seen it from a different perspective and we just want other people to be like, no, it can be fun. It can be great and food can be amazing. And like, there is obviously a subset of the industry that are like, no carbs, do bodybuilding stuff. But there's also a side of the industry that's very like, we've done everything so stupid that we could write the textbook on literally what not to do and probably wouldn't have enough space that now we're just thinking this can this doesn't have to be a misery don't make the mistakes we made ultimately absolutely yeah learn from our failures so that you don't have to make them again absolutely yeah yeah and just just to wrap up a final question kind of topical you mentioned recession i'm just thinking let's say someone's struggling with their health they want to improve it but we're in a recession right so money's a little bit tighter how do you kind of provide value to someone to be like you know health is it, it's worth investing in you know to, to make to budget uh, for a coach, for example, to to make that commitment to your health, it's worth it, even though you know times are tight. The the truth is, I don't I don't convince anyone, and I would never convince anyone. I I do believe, 
And because you are a business person, and I think the reason a lot of good trainers go to business is because they've no business heads and they're they're too people-centric, people-oriented. I also think that can go the other pendulum where there's just a lot of narcissistic toxicity of give me all your money. But I, I don't. There's an idea of never sell the unsellable. And I wouldn't, I think if it's a case where somebody's genuinely in a position where they can't, the money is tight right now, it might be best for them to just try and either go it alone or it might be like maybe they have other stresses on the internet, YouTube. There are channels on YouTube that give out genuinely very good free information that I've seen. Um, I don't think in my podcasts, I don't think I've said anything on a, on, in my coaching that I haven't said on a podcast as a blanket statement. I think it's just the context of when I say it to clients really matters and that's the magic. And ironically, giving out my best work for free has you know made me busy, thankfully, on that. So yeah, the, the truth is I would never try and sell someone that isn't 100% committed to me, but that's that's actually nothing to do with a recession or anything like that. Is I just want the person who's come to me to want to work with me. Um, and if someone has decided that it's not of a, whether they can't genuinely afford it right now, which is perfectly valid, or whether it's not a high enough priority in the hierarchy because they'd rather use that money for different things, I think that's completely personal. So um, I also, I think personal training, if I'm entirely honest, if I, I do think it is more of a luxury than a necessity. Uh, I think you could easily, within two to three hours, learn some fundamental principles of decent nutrition and movement if you'd never heard of it before from reputable, again, reputable pages on YouTube or whatever it is. So, yeah. Yeah, we're not in the business of... Uh changing people's minds or convincing people where we're yeah work with people are already convinced it'll drive you crazy i don't know if you've ever had clients that you maybe didn't click with it's happened a couple of times but i just get the feeling that convincing people to come to you is going to end up you know you've lost the i it's not that you want to play ever play games with clients not in the slightest i would never think about it like that but leverage you don't want anybody to almost hold leverage over you to be well you convinced me this now you owe me i paid you get me the results that kind of thing which every trainer has definitely experienced that. And it's not a nice feeling because every trainer does want to do right by their clients. Well, for the most part, I, I like to think most trainers do. Um, so I need someone to have, like my favorite clients to work with are people who quote back stuff I said on episode 37 of the podcast, like been following you, like what you did with this client, saw what you said on this Instagram post. This is my struggle. I believe you can help me. They're the people I click the most with. That's why I've, that's why, I, like we talk about recession, we talk about pandemic, but like I've had clients now, a decent subset of clients going into their second and even third year. And I think it's because we really gel. I think it's as people, I think I provoke something in them and they make me enjoy coming to work and that relationship shows. I've also had people ask to discontinue after one month because what I offer isn't what they needed. And that's perfectly fine. I have no problem with that when they communicate and it's done maturely like adults, it's grand as well. So that's, that's literally the reason I would never try and sell someone. I don't want the, the the latter. I don't want somebody who I have to convince to work with me. I need, if I'm working with someone, I thought about it long and hard. I want you. I budgeted for this. I took a loan out from my sister when I started my business to work with a, a trainer in the United States. It didn't turn out to be the best return on investment ever, to be fair, but I had decided it was going to be this guy and he was very expensive. And my sister said she'd give me the money because she felt that she was like, I trust you. I think you'll do okay in PT and I trust you'll give it back to me in the future. So I'm not saying do it at all costs and don't put yourself into debt. Definitely not. But when you've made the decision to work with someone, you know. Yeah. yeah. You want to work with people who are bought into you, you know, the person. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, 100%. So Paul, uh, it's been brilliant speaking with you. Thanks very much for your time. Uh, is there any projects, podcast episodes, anything you want to uh, plug before we wrap up? Uh, so I've just... You know what? My my podcast in general, Paul Dermody Podcast, my website, pauldermody.com. You can find my blogs, my all the podcasts are on it, all the blo- my written blogs on it. I have 
some kind of giant, um, not testimonials, but actual case studies on, because I'm not, like I said, I'm not trying to sell anyone. I'm really not, but I do kind of document a step-by-step process on how maybe clients have lost a hundred pounds or any of that stuff. So yeah, my website, my podcast, and then my Instagram, PT, which I'm using a little bit less these days, but they'll catch me there. Well, thanks a million, man. I really enjoyed chat with you. Yeah. I really enjoyed reading your articles as well online. You have a, a wealth of uh, interesting ideas and also a very, very interesting video on YouTube where you spoke with the man, Gary V. So uh, that's uh, always an interesting one. Yeah. yeah. So uh, thanks very much, Paul. And I will be speaking again soon.